Hello, and welcome to this edition of TMLT's podcast, Tech Telemedicine Tomorrow, Answers for Healthcare's Digital Trends. I'm your host, Tony Pasolacqua. Today, I have special guest attorney, Dan Ballard, from Ballard, Simmons, and Campbell, LLP. And our topic today is telemedicine. Hello, Dan. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, Sure. Uh, Good to be here, Tony. And I'm an attorney in Austin. I've been practicing for about 37 years here. And 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 we have a small firm here in Austin, and all we do is represent physicians in uh, various uh, healthcare type things of medical malpractice and medical board defense are the main things that we do. Well, thank you very much for your introduction. Um, So let's go ahead and just jump into telemedicine. How is telemedicine defined? Well, telemedicine is is basically the interaction with a patient for a patient-physician encounter. It's being done by some sort of electronic means that could be, uh, in some instances, over a telephone. Uh, and more frequently is over an internet-style uh, video conference type of connection that usually is going to need to be HIPAA, you know, a HIPAA-compliant type of connection. So there's there's two terms that we hear a lot. Uh, one is telehealth and telemedicine. Is there a difference? There, there's a, a little bit of a difference that. Honestly, I don't think is very important from a legal perspective. The, the difference is that telemedicine has the term practice, you know, kind of practicing medicine within it. And, and it's the part that involves, you know, uh, physicians and the mid-level practitioners, in other words, nurse practitioners and physician assistants. And then there's telehealth, which is a broader, uh, category that includes interacting um, with patients that could be interaction by nurses or by other providers uh, who are not uh, able to technically practice medicine. That's what I view as the difference in, in terms of, in practical terms, I don't think that it matters a whole lot which term you use. Well, and it's also really important for our listeners to understand that we're, as we're discussing a lot of the uh, telehealth, telemedicine definitions, they do vary from state to state, and we're mainly focusing on Texas. So, Dan, I had a couple of questions about what's the minimum standards for telemedicine. Uh, as I'm looking through the rules here on 174, um, one of the ones that jumped out to me is that the healthcare service or procedures need to be the same as if they were in an in-person setting. Could you could you discuss that or describe that to sure. me a little bit better? Sure. What that's driving at is is they're trying to get to what's the standard of care uh, for a telemedicine visit because many physicians are going to think of okay here's my usual practice with my patients and now I'm going to switch into utilizing telemedicine either you know on a temporary basis during COVID or on a permanent basis and and there the, the physician needs to evaluate how high is the bar in terms of quality here well both. The Texas legislature and the Texas Medical Board have been crystal clear that the bar that you got to get over in terms of quality of care or the standard of care, it's the very same for that same patient as if they were sitting there on your exam table to where you could put hands on and examine them, eyes on and look at them, listen to them. Put a stethoscope on them if you need to. Put whatever instrumentation on testing, all that stuff. It's the same standard of care in the telemedicine visit as though they were right there in front of you in the room. So always remember that. It's very fundamental and very important. 
Processes can change a lot as practices shift from a brick-and-mortar location to telemedicine. What changes occur with the use of telemedicine, such as medications and notices? First, I'm going to uh, rewrite your question a little bit. Go for it. From medications into prescriptions. Can you write the same prescription via telemedicine uh, that you can with an in-person visit? And 99% of the time, the answer to that question is yes. There's two exceptions. Uh, So that in terms of what can you prescribe, two exceptions. One is for treating chronic pain. Um, Ordinarily, outside of the the COVID crisis, ordinarily, you cannot treat chronic pain with opioids via telemedicine. You've got to bring the patient in and see them and hands-on, eyes-on with that patient. Uh, During COVID, there's an exception. You can treat chronic pain via telemedicine. But remember, when that emergency rule goes away, that exception goes away. So usual rule is you can't treat chronic pain. Second, you can't prescribe abortifacient medications. Uh, so, you know, like a, I don't know, if, I, I won't give a medical opinion here, but like if a plan B pill, if that's considered an abortifacient, and I don't actually know if it is, but if it is, you can't prescribe it via telemedicine. So any other abortifacient type drug, you cannot do that. There's no exception for that during COVID. Uh, so remember that and don't do that. You would get in trouble for it. The other part of your question was about notifications uh, that need to be given to the patient. And are they any different for telemedicine versus in person? In general, they're really uh, about the same in that you need to give a patient a notification of your privacy practices. Uh, you need to obtain a patient's consent. Um, And finally, you need to give them a notice about how do you file a complaint against the physician uh, if they have some, you know, some dissatisfaction with their care. How do you file a complaint of the medical board uh, against them? So it's really those three, you know, types of things are the things you need to get done. And I'll I'll go ahead and add that for, you know, privacy notices, consents and the complaint notice, you need to get those done before you have your visit. So that typically, I think that most practices are probably having their scheduling staff, perhaps, uh, you know, scheduling staff may hand the patient over, you know, on the on the uh, teleconference or whatever, when they're doing the scheduling, they hand them off to somebody who can take care of these administrative details, basically, in terms of figuring out a way to get those notices to the patient electronically and figuring out a way to get them back with an indication that the patient agrees to them. And it's important to, to remember also that, for example, with the consent, you know, they need a, you know, just a consent to treatment. Uh, and it doesn't actually have to be, it doesn't have to have a signature of the patient on it because that could become cumbersome uh, electronically here. And the, the Texas Medical Board's rules allow for some type of electronic acknowledgement by the patient that I've consented, I've received my notices, uh, you know, and, and that type of thing. So that they could, for example, respond to an email. If you emailed them the notices, they could respond to the email with, I've received them, I've read them, and I agree to them. That's an important little, you know, I think a helpful exception that you don't need a, a blue ink signature, you know, on a piece of paper uh, returned to you, but just, just some kind of acknowledgement. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess, you know, one of the other things that comes to mind is 
as you're moving to maybe more towards a telemedicine format. Um, is there anything that's built into the telemedicine law here in Texas that talks about prevention and fraud or abuse? Yes, there is. Uh, you need to have um, practice protocols for how you're going to run your telemedicine practice, basically, or that aspect of your practice. And these protocols that you would need to have need to cover um, how, how are you as physician going to prevent fraud and abuse. One of the main things that's involved with that is assuring that the person you think you're dealing with is who they say they are. Uh, and that can be difficult uh, to prove with absolute certainty. In fact, it's probably impossible to do with absolute certainty. But it's very important that the physician take reasonable measures to assure that this person who's on here it's like an easy example right now would be you can treat chronic pain. In fact, you can treat any kind of pain via telemedicine. And you have a, a patient schedule up a visit and you're interacting with them and you ultimately decide that they need an opioid prescribed to them, um, which you're allowed you know, to do uh, via telemedicine. And it's very important here within the opioid crisis uh, that you establish that this is who they say they are. Uh, and that, you know, it helps prevent diversion and abuse and misuse and, and, and whatnot. So, so yes, there, there is that requirement uh, that you, you know, take measures, that you have a protocol set forth that shows how you're going to take those measures. And one final point I'd make about that, Tony, is that the TMA uh, has developed a number of uh, specific protocols and policies it can be utilized by physicians if you look them up on textmed.org uh, and, and, and look up telemedicine on there. You'll find a truly excellent array of protocols that, you know, some of the things we've discussed today, uh, you know, that are very applicable, very useful, very well done. And they're Word documents that you can, you know, adopt it and kind of make it your own and utilize it. Moving on to the next question. So one of the things that I, I constantly think about with telemedicine is how it was pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and then where we may move after the pandemic. What, what's your thoughts pre-pandemic? How was telemedicine set up? Yeah. Um, one, I think it was in many instances underutilized uh, before the COVID pandemic. And, um, and I say underutilized because there's a lot of potential for using telemedicine in almost any uh, practice in terms of at least performing follow-up care, checking in with patients on, you know, how's, how's it going with the treatment we gave, medications we prescribed, that, that kind of thing. And what's happened here is that with the COVID uh, crisis, it kicked everything beyond high gear uh, in terms of of adoption of telemedicine because there are many practices who have taken a position of we're shutting down our face-to-face -face visits and we're only going to see uh, our patients uh, via telemedicine. So they've had instant adoption, you know, and, and, and everybody's found, you know, it's, it's a little bit complicated. It's not awful, but uh, but it's a little bit complicated to sort of get it set up and, and become compliant 
uh, with the medical board's rules and with the statutory uh, requirements of it. And, and again, I'll emphasize that on that aspect of things, the TMA has a fantastic set of, of helpful tools in, in their telemedicine section, and everybody needs to go take a look at it, partly because it serves as a checklist. Uh, you look through it and you say, whoa, I didn't realize I needed to be doing that. Uh, and you know whatever that is, and 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 the TMA will have helpful resources there for you. Well, I know a few of the things we've talked about so far. Um, we're saying how some of the rules have been relaxed. So one that comes to mind is a phone only encounter. Uh, how has that changed? You know, pre pandemic. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. In. For pre-pandemic, you know, back in the old days, I'll call them six months ago. <laughs> uh, uh, pre-pandemic, you could use, a, you could have a telephone-only uh, encounter via telemedicine, and it had a couple of specific limitations on it. One is that you needed to have already established uh, a physician-patient relationship with that patient via video telemedicine or via face-to-face visit. So you couldn't establish a physician-patient relationship via the telephone. Now, we have a temporary emergency exception to that that, again, will go away uh, once we're out of the COVID crisis. Uh, The temporary exception is that you can use a telephone to establish a physician-patient relationship. So remember that that's temporary. Now, once we get back into the what I'll call the older conventional rules on what you can use a telephone uh, to do in a telemedicine context, the other uh, criteria is that in a telephone-only telemedicine encounter with an established patient, you need to be using some type of store and forward um, uh, data. In other words, you need to be on your telephone encounter with your patient, either using the chart, which is stored data, uh, photographs, perhaps, which a patient has sent you uh, or for another physician has sent you or that kind of thing. You could be using a radiology study that you're referring to, you know, uh, or a radiology report that you're referring to during the study. You could be looking at a lab you know, lab test results, biopsy results, some kind of stored data. And then you're good to go with having a telephone-only telemedicine encounter with an established patient. Another uh, component that our physicians are trying to utilize is their PAs or APRNs. Um, Has that changed at all between pre-COVID, during COVID? Right. No, no, I don't think that there's any change, uh, either practically or legally, uh, to the ability of physician assistants or nurse practitioners to practice telemedicine just like they were before. They, they pre-COVID, they have been allowed to step in and practice telemedicine. Really, I'm going to say just like a physician can and, and what I mean by that, just like a physician can, is that it would be as though they were in the office and the nurse practitioner or the physician assistant was practicing medicine just like a physician can. They can do the same thing in telemedicine. So, and no, that has not changed. There's no exceptions. And, and I think they can just move 
right on forward into the telemedicine world, just like the physicians are. This concludes part one of our discussion. In part two, we will cover where are we going with telemedicine? How does location change how telemedicine applies? And what to do in several what-if situations, such as what happens if there's a dropped call or if a patient's case becomes more urgent.